0: Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for the Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, Dr. John. Hello. uh,
1: Hello. Uh, Well, since you guys are Christian thinkers... Sorry, I just want to leave that question. I wanted to get your input on that appreciate it. Thank you, Douglas. That's my question. Thanks a bunch.
0: Thank you. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show, combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston, Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. This is part two of an exciting two-week series within the universe of our Jeremiah Johnston Show radio program, right here on Faith Radio Network. And don't worry if you didn't hear last week; you're not going to miss anything because uh, we're doing two parts. Um, this is the second Saturday where I'm doing. I've dedicated the entire broadcast to nothing but going through the questions that you've submitted to us at Christian Thinkers Society. And you can always submit questions, comments, feedback to us on this program. You can go to christianthinkers.com. You can go to askjjj.com. You can hit us up on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Of course, links to all of those handles are right there at christianthinkers.com. But so many questions mounting up, and we just love getting through them, uh, that I wanted to dedicate a second week in a row with my good friend Craig Evans, where we sit down, and I want to just ask you to pull up a seat next to us as we discuss your unanswered questions. And they're random, but they're all interesting. Uh, But it is Thanksgiving week upcoming. Happy Thanksgiving. And I just want to share with you something from my heart from Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, "'Go, show yourself to the priest.' And as they went, they were cleansed, they were healed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, "'Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one else returned to give praise to God except this foreigner?' Then he said to him, "'Rise and go, your faith has made you well.'" You know, it's really fascinating to me. This is a great reminder about the centrality of thanksgiving in our Christian life. And when you think about the fact that only one of the 10 lepers who were healed took time to go back and thank Jesus, wow, isn't that a convicting reminder to us? I want to be counted with the one leper, not with the nine uh, who didn't say thank you. I want to be be counted with the one who was healed and did say thank you. And so this week, as we go into a special week where we're reminded of the importance of Thanksgiving— I pray that you and I are both thankful people. I pray that we live with a spirit of generosity and thanksgiving first to the Lord for him forgiving us and redeeming us. I mean, when you think about the fact that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, wow, that makes me full of gratitude. I never want to lose the awe of my salvation in Christ, do you? What a blessing to know that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. We're grateful to him. We're grateful people. Um, But we also want to live a life that's full of gratitude. Hey, there's a lot you can complain about. Why not be full of gratitude about the blessings? Um, You know, give thanks always in all circumstances is something that is right there in the scriptures that I think all of us would do well to uh, apply in more circumstances, in every circumstance, to have a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness. Don't forget Luke chapter 17, 11 through 19. You might want to just read it to someone or reread it yourself or read it to your family. Meditate on it this week. Um, what, a, what a powerful passage when Jesus said, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine that should be say, saying thank you? Uh, and by the way, be someone who says thank you. Uh, my gosh, if do, someone does something, be sure and express your gratitude. And you can do so by just saying thank you, writing a thank you note, even sending a text, but just express your generosity to people. You know, I think Christians should be the most grateful, generous, joyous people. Uh, And sadly, sometimes that's not the case. But this week especially reminds us, let's be people of gratitude. Um, And now, friends, again, get ready. I want you to get your pen out. I want you to get something to write with. Um, and I want you to be ready because we're going to be talking about some fascinating topics today on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Again, uh, this is the program that takes your questions seriously. Um, we're grateful when people submit questions. It's an honor that so many of you would go out of your comfort zone and say, hey, you know, I've been paralyzed by this question, so I need you to, I need you to cover it today. Uh, there's no way I could ever get to all the questions that are submitted to me. Um, but I do love to do programs like today where we just go through them in a rapid fire. So buckle up your seatbelt, get ready. This is going to be a fun program. I've got my good friend, my co-pilot, Craig Evans, who's joining me today. So you've got two bib studs, as we call it, two Bible scholars, uh, people that specialize in biblical studies, and we're taking your questions seriously. We look forward to answering and provided resources, insights, encouragement, practical, practical application for your walk with Christ. That's why we're here today. We're here for you to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Stay with us. We'll be back taking your questions right after this break. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnson Show broadcast across Faith Radio Network in both the Central and Eastern Time Zone. Also, I'm delighted to be ministering to so many of you who are listening um, by the by the thousands to our online podcast as well. I'm also delighted that over the last few months, uh, we have endeavored to make this show available wherever podcasts um, are found. And so you can find Jeremiah Johnston Show, of course, on iTunes podcast, Google Play podcast. But now we're on Stitcher, Overcast. Spotify. I even found the Jeremiah Johnston Show talking to Alexa the other day. So I'm delighted that all the formats that Christian Thinker Society and the Jeremiah Johnston Show are broadcasting, of course, with through Faith Radio Network. I'm joined today uh, by a great friend of Christian Thinker Society, a great personal friend of mine, a colleague in arms, a bib, a bib stud. Uh, he's the finest historical Jesus scholar in the world. His name is Professor Craig Evans. Dr. Evans, it's great to have you for part two of our show on Bible Hey, it's great to be back. Uh, Dr. Evans, we're going to jump right in. Um, for those of you that are joining us for the very first time, this is the show that takes your questions seriously. We take seriously being a Christian thinker. We think all truth is God's truth. We think that all truth traces back to God himself because God is a God of truth. Um, and so many of you, uh, by the thousands, submit questions to us. And so our team at Christian Thinker Society, we aggregate these questions and then we, do, we create programs and content and discussion where I answer my guest answers. And we have great discussion around your excellent questions. Um, Dr. Evans, we have quite a few questions around the Messianic prophecies of Jesus. Um, can you fir- and some people get a little bit, you know, are we talking about clairvoyance here? What are we exactly saying? Can you A, define a Messianic prophecy for the new Christians, and then can you discuss whether or not you think they're important, are they important and why, uh, and then we'll just take it from there. Oh it's a great question and
1: uh, of course it's a very important field of study scholars wrestle with it we ransack as it were sift through the whole of uh, ancient scripture and not just what's in the canon by the way not just what is in what we call the old testament or the hebrew bible we also look at ancient texts For one reason or another, they're not in the Bible, and they, too, seem to foretell or forecast things about the future, evolving someone called an anointed one. So let me get the the context right. It's all about David. David was Israel's great king. Uh, Saul was the first king. He was a failure. David came along and just did amazing things. And people could see that God was with him. Things were happening, really good things. And under David and then his famous wise son Solomon, the kingdom of Israel became the biggest it ever was in its history. And there was this famous oracle where Nathan the prophet says to David, look, you want to build God a house? That's great. He's going to build you a house. You're going to have a son. And then it becomes clear as he's talking to him. It isn't just a son who turns out to be Solomon. He's talking about a son who seems to be way beyond that of being a mere mortal. And that shows up in the Psalms. It shows up in the prophets, Isaiah especially, other prophets as well. Uh, Sometime in the future, all of Israel will be redeemed by this shepherd, this prince, as Ezekiel puts it. And so this lays the groundwork for what becomes known as Messianism. Why? Because David was anointed, and the verb for anoint in Hebrew is mashach. The adjective anointed one is meshiach, and that's where we get Messiah. And so we talk about Messianism, we're talking about ideas and hopes relating to a David-like anointed person, and there are differences of, of opinion, And so that's what was in the air. That's what was in the mix. There's diverse opinions about, well, this Messiah, what's he going to be like? Just another David, or is he going to be supernatural? And so Jesus came into that world with different opinions. That's why he asked his disciples, what are people saying about me? Well, some think this, some think that. What do you think about me? And so... There was this messianic hope, but it wasn't necessarily
0: well defined. Interesting, and so uh, keeping on this theme, it, it really it finds um, it comes to great expectation in the prophecies through David. Jesus obviously calls himself Son of Man. And there are other passages in the Old Testament that he messianizes. And can we just go through a few that have been emailed in? Uh, like Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen: The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me among yourself from your own kinsmen. I will raise up a prophet like you. I will put words in his mouth. And he will tell them everything. And then we see that this holds weight in places like John 16 or even Acts 3, when Peter said that Jesus was the fulfillment of this specific promise. Can you talk about, and I know I'm throwing several questions that have been emailed, but how do these messianic prophecies function with the New Testament writers? And why are they important to us today as modern day believers?
1: Well, Moses promises the people of Israel, because you can imagine how they're thinking, Moses has been our leader for like 40 years, and uh, he's going to die. What's going to happen then? Who will be his successor? And so it's kind of like Nathan's prophecy that I just mentioned a moment ago. And so, you know, he assures everybody, well, don't worry, God will raise up a prophet like me. Well, there are two levels here. There will be somebody who will succeed Moses in the near future, but there's going to be somebody super special. And so you often have these two levels, these two tiers. You've got the old level, the original historical level, but then there's the anticipation of, wait a minute, I think we're actually talking about something else. Some wonder, well, if we're talking about a guy like David, an anointed one, anointed of the Lord, who will be like David, why are we talking about a prophet? Well, what people don't realize is that, David was a prophet also, and so prophet and king come together. And then you see, like in Psalm 110, the king, in a sense, is also a priest, a priest like Melchizedek, who not only was a priest in Genesis 14, but also a king, a king of Salem, which we think was ancient Jerusalem. And so you get this then trilogy or this tripartite reality. You've got king, prophet, priest coming together and the followers of Jesus realized hey i think all three of these things are coming together and Jesus he announces that people are clean which is a priestly function he's the king he's the shepherd he makes prophetic statements he's all these things he's he's many of these components of messianism they all start coming together. and By the way, I as we said uh, last week in the program, a few weeks ago I was in Jerusalem and something that hasn't even been reported yet because I was with Eli Shukron, we went beneath, uh, right down to ground level in the old city of Jerusalem well where Eilat Mazar and others are excavating what could well be the original Palace of David. And we went right down to the bedrock. Uh, Ellie has the keys, unlocked uh, the chain, the gate, in we went. And I I probably don't want to describe it in too much detail because it hasn't even been published yet. But we found evidence of uh, ancient worship. And here's the point. The pottery, and I can announce this, the pottery has been dated to the 18th century BC. Now, if you know your biblical Chronology, you realize, whoa, wait a minute. David doesn't capture the city of Jerusalem until the 10th century mm-hmm. BC, the 900s BC. Now just go back 900 years earlier, and somebody was there worshiping God. So w- there's the possibility we're actually getting back close to the time of Melchizedek himself. Wow. So, you know. We'll wait and see. There's there's more study that needs to be done. But, man, that was really something to see. Undeniable, there it is, evidence of worship, pottery that goes back to the 18th century B.C., possibly as early as the time of Melchizedek. And the whole site had been carefully sealed Mm -hmm. and hidden from view. So we were looking at things that David never looked at. Wow. Wow and only recently uncovered. There'll probably be more about it. You'll probably, there'll probably be g- world groundbreaking headline news in the months ahead.
0: Uh, Dr. Evans, here's another real sincere question from Brittany, who actually listened to our two-part um, broadcast earlier this year on archaeology. And she said, maybe I didn't understand you all right, but you made the point that no one in Israel expected the Messiah to die. And Isaiah 53 uh, may have only been understood in a small Jewish community as understanding a forthcoming um, suffering servant. She said, "I'm just confused because uh, Philip uh, reads Isaiah uh, to the to the Ethiopian whose eyes are opened about the Messiah. What did you mean about Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant? Is this a messianic prophecy, or am I mistaken?" Brittany asks.
1: Hey, Brittany, great question. And, you know, uh, I don't think there's any question that Isaiah 53 was understood in a messianic way in the time of Jesus, not only because Philip answers the Ethiopian official the way he does. The Ethiopian official is reading from Isaiah 53 and he wonders, who is this person who suffers, who does not open his mouth? And Philip says, I can tell you all about it. And of course, what he tells the Ethiopian is this person that suffered and went to his death uncomplaining, was none other than Jesus recently crucified, recently raised up from the dead. So how was that understood? Wow, that's a very interesting question. Um, There's pushback. Jewish interpreters don't want to see it as applied to Jesus. Mm. There's controversy. Uh, I suspect some did think that the Messiah might suffer, but it was not the popular view. It would not be the majority view. I say that because we actually have texts that indicate that the Messiah is expected to be victorious, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So I mean there's actual fragment, probably related to the famous war scroll, a fragment from K four, number two hundred eighty five, that envisions envisions the Messiah defeating the Romans in battle and personally killing the Roman emperor called the king of the Katim, the king of the Western peoples. So I suspect that's probably the popular view. And that's why you'll hear people say, well, you know, it wasn't expected that the Messiah would die. It's a bit of an argument from silence. Hmm. There may have been some based on Isaiah 53 who thought, you know what, the Messiah might in fact suffer. In the uh, Aramaic paraphrase, of Isaiah 53. It's called the Targum. It's kind of the living Bible of the Jewish synagogue. It's identified, the suffering servant is clearly identified as the Messiah in this Jewish Aramaic version. However, he doesn't suffer and die. He makes the bad guys suffer and die. His grave is not assigned with the wicked. He assigns the wicked to their graves. It's an amazing rewriting of the text. It tells me that there's a recognition That the suffering servant is a messianic figure, but there's a reluctance to have him suffer. So this gives you an idea of some of the push and shove going on. After all, Jesus's disciples were not eager for Jesus to suffer. They accepted his uh, identification as the human being, the son of man who receives kingdom, power, and authority from God. That's, That's Daniel 7. But they were very uneasy with Jesus talking about pouring out his life and, you know, not here to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom. Peter didn't accept that. He actually rebukes Jesus for saying that. I personally believe that's why Judas Iscariot quit and became the betrayer. Uh, he probably felt betrayed himself by Jesus, who had given up and was going to be a martyr. And so I think what that teaches us is that not all all Jews who expected a Messiah were necessarily expecting the same thing.
0: Mm. Friends, we've got to step away. This is the Jeremiah Johnston Show. You're listening to Craig Evans and I discuss your unanswered questions. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Don't change that channel. Hey, welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I'm joined by Professor Craig Evans. Prolific author, an excellent Christian thinker. I hope you have your entire Craig Evans shelves in your library because his books, his commentaries have been used the world over, uh, stimulating great thinking, great scholarship, continuing the discussion on why we can trust the scripture, why we can trust in the historical Jesus as both Savior and Lord of the world. And we're taking your questions. Dr. Evans has been one of the most frequently downloaded guests that we've ever had in the history. Of the Jeremiah Johnson show, so Doctor Evans, we're honored to have you joining us again for this two-part series on Bible questions, Bible difficulties. Um, here's another question. Uh, this is actually coming from Brian. Along, we've we've we, again, friends, we have we have uh, archived all of these questions into similar veins. And Brian's asking, should we use, can we use, and should we use the messianic prophecies in our apologetics?
1: Oh, absolutely, I think so. Uh, one of my favorite stories comes from a. Uh, Mike Brown. Mike Brown is a Jewish believer in Jesus, uh, often works with chosen people. He's a scholar in his own right, has a Ph.D., has published numerous books, and he tells a story that's just great where he's talking to a person not much different from himself at one time in his life, a Jewish agnostic who says, well, I, you know, I just really don't think that Jesus fulfills the Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. Mike said, well, have you ever read Isaiah 53? And he said, no, I haven't. Well, here it is. Why don't you read it? So the skeptic reads Isaiah 53, and he goes, oh, who do you think you're kidding? He said, this, this, some Christian wrote this. Wow. And, and, and Dr. Snow, he said, <laughs> I'm sorry, that that's pre-Christian. That's what Isaiah wrote a long time ago. And he says, no, I don't believe it. You, you'll have to prove it to me. He, then he told him about the great Isaiah scroll from Qumran that dates to about somewhere between 100 and 200 B.C. And that person was simply astounded. Do you mean that somebody before Jesus ever lived, before he became a public person, before he suffered and died? Are you kidding me that this this oracle about the suffering servant who suffers for Israel and by his wounds and stripes and so on, people are then healed that that text actually existed before jesus's birth before christianity came along and of course it did it existed for hundreds of years Hmm. before christianity and of course that resulted in the person then exploring the christian faith and becoming a believer and i and i've heard this many times isaiah 53 is huge especially in the jewish world where it takes the Hebrew scriptures and the Hebrew prophets very seriously. So folks, Isaiah 53 is not a Christian text. It wasn't (laughs) written by Jesus's disciples or written by the Pope. It's a real Jewish, authentic Jewish Isaiah text. That's hundreds of years BC. So if you want to find a, a a messianic prophecy that will raise the hair on the back of your neck, read it and you'll think, "Wait a minute, I'm reading a poetic statement about Jesus and his suffering."
0: Dr. Evans, I need you to comment on something because I have received so many questions about modern day prophets. I need you to take the next few minutes to share what you've shared in several of our university courses. What was the Old Testament prophet? What was the Old Testament prophet's role? So that's question one. Can you explain who was the prophet in the Old Testament and what did they do? And then secondly, how do we respond to the modern day prophets who claim that they know when things are going to happen? It's almost like a psychic clairvoyance. They know who's going to be the next president, don't you know? And because of their efforts, they can influence these things. Um, I get uncomfortable with that, and I want you to educate us about prophets, both modern, but who? what was the function of the prophet? Let's start there in the Old Testament.
1: Well, the, the prophet would declare the will of God. That's basically what the prophet would do. The prophet, uh, sometimes this is kind of helpful uh, as, as a way of getting this straight. The prophet didn't so much uh, foretell as forth Speak forth the, the mind and the will of God. And so the people are clamoring for whatever seems politically correct or desirable at the moment. And God would raise up a prophet, and, and they'd say, uh, you know, this is the word of the Lord. And then speak the word of the Lord to that, speak truth to power, speak truth to confusion, speak truth to sin, whatever it was. That's what the prophet would do. And we get used to the idea of prophets making predictions all the time. I've not tried to do the math, but I suspect if you were to go through all of the prophets of the Old Testament and tally it up, look at each oracle, oracle by oracle, you'd find out probably 80%, maybe even a higher percentage of that, has nothing to do with the future. It has to do with the present it's reminding them of what God has done in the past and how that applies to right now, mm. the present. And so you have prophets who will confront the Israelite kings and rebuke them. David himself is severely rebuked by Nathan the mm. prophet in 2 Samuel 12 in, in his affair with Bathsheba. And uh, Ahab is is confronted by by Elijah the prophet, and so these prophets confront power, they could confront the uh, the high priest, confront the wealthy, the elite, confront uh, the king, confront the general people, and, uh, and say, this is the will of God, and convict them for sin, for rebellion, for immorality, for oppression, injustice, you name it. That's what prophets usually do. However, oftentimes when they're Charging the people, either comforting them because they've gone through a catastrophe, or uh, scolding them or rebuking them because of their sin, apostasy, idolatry, or whatever, there often will be then a futuristic oracle where they'll say, if, if you don't stop doing this, this is going to happen. Mm. Or no matter how bad it looks now, someday in the future, God will do this. And so the Messianic prophecies that we talk about often come come to expression in that setting. But we need to make it clear that most prophecy in the Old Testament is applying God's will, applying God's mm. word to circumstances, things that are actually happening at the time. Now, what about the modern prophets and their predictions, these modern futurists? I tell you, one of my pet peeves are, are Christian prophets who, who claim they know when the second coming is going yeah, to occur. Bait or I mean, they speak of the end of the world. I don't know where they're getting this end of the world idea, but whatever. And and they'll have a calculation. We all think of, you know, family radio in two thousand eleven. That was very embarrassing. You know, May twentieth or twenty first, mm-hmm. two thousand eleven that Jesus was going to return and rapture the church. Or maybe, maybe it was October, you know, they had a fallback position. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and the elderly man, Harold uh, camping, I think, if I remember his name correctly, uh, you know, and he was making this uh, prediction. And it was embarrassing. I got calls from radio hosts, wanted to interview me. Professor Evans, what do you think about this? Does the Bible really say that? And I'd have to say, no, the Bible does not. And uh, and this this uh, Harold fellow, he had a computation that was arcane. It was on his um, uh, on his web page. I actually looked at it. It was a weird math formula that supposedly would come out to May of 2011. It didn't make any sense to me. It was not based on proper scholarship, biblical interpretation. He didn't understand Old Testament scripture at all. And here he's making this embarrassingly inaccurate. Uh, prediction And of course, it shames the church. It makes us all look like uh, morons when this kind of thing happens. I deplore it because Jesus himself said, no one knows the day nor the hour. Hmm. Well, he did, apparently. He, it was, you know, May 21st, 2011. <laughs> I mean, what part of no man knows the day nor the hour? What part of not even the, the angels of heaven know? do people don't get mm. and uh, of course it came and went it didn't happen and i'll always remember this humorous political cartoon in the in the uh, provincial newspaper we lived in nova scotia at the time it was a very witty cartoon it showed a man hanging his head in dejection and another man putting his arm over his shoulder And this man says, well, Harold, you know, don't feel bad. It's not the end of the world. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was it was funny. But, you know, it it makes, you know, and I'm getting these calls. uh, People want to quote me. I'm on radio programs saying, what do you say to that? And all I would have to say is, well, he was wrong. He shouldn't have done that. Jesus tells his own disciples they don't know. We have plenty of things to do in this world that are constructive and helpful but making guesses about the end is not one of
0: them and dr evans if, if i can ask you a follow-up and to speak to it pastorally when someone is experiencing great challenge in their life we'll go anywhere to find a solution and very sincerely i think of audrey and i when we were unable to conceive for five years i mean at that point in time we were willing to try anything be prayed over And I wrote about this in my book, Unanswered, Lasting Truth for Trending Questions. It was difficult for Audrey, especially, and for me, when someone we really respected spoke a prophecy over us that we would become pregnant by a certain day and time. And of course, that date came and we were not pregnant. And it affected my wife for a while, kind of like, well, what's going on here? Can you just speak pastorally for those that... Hey, you know, they're not buying it necessarily, but they might have someone who's really sick or hurting, or they have an answer they're really seeking God for, and they might even be being taken advantage of. How do we have discernment?
1: Yeah, I I know. I've heard, there are many stories like that. People, they think they've received a word from the Lord, and that's going to solve some health issue, uh, lead to healing, or solve some family problem involving, you know, a family member. Or a job, uh, an employment issue, or who knows what some kind of crisis of some sort, and somebody has you know a word from the Lord that's going to solve it, and uh, it's naive, it's presumptuous and you know i I believe God did raise up uh, people with prophetic gifts in the early church. Uh, the early church had to have some kind of guidance and leadership. Mm-hmm. there was no New Testament scripture. Most Christians did not have access to a single biblical book, Old mm. Testament or new. Uh, many of our churches, if we could go back in time and visit church after church, they'd be tiny, a couple dozen, three dozen uh, members. If they're lucky, they might have one or two biblical books. Uh, you know, So where yeah. was the instruction coming from? And uh, I understand that. but uh, But even then you have the injunction, test the spirits. That's right. Because there were plenty of false prophets. And so we often idealize the early church, think, wow, everything was perfect. People had gifts. People were standing up in church and prophesying, hey, listen, there were plenty of heretics, too. That's right. Standing up and misleading people, and that's why we ended up with the New Testament, because there were questions that needed to be answered, and Scripture needed to be written in order to clarify these things. So, you know, it wasn't ideal. It was challenging. And the early church slugged it out and emerged uh, faithful to the gospel. That's why it swept the Roman Empire nonviolently in 300 years. And I think we need to be every bit as discerning today.
0: Dr. Evans and I are going to be right back. We've got to go to our break. Um, We're taking your unanswered questions that you've submitted through AskJJJ.com. Stay with us. We're back with more of your questions. What about Melchizedek? That's a question that's come in, um, and we'll be right back with that answer with our um, our Bible questions today on the Jeremiah Johnson Show. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to part two in a two-part series with my friend and colleague, Professor Craig Evans. I want to encourage you to go to his website. It's www.craigaevans.com. And from there, you're going to see links to his social media follow him on Twitter, like his Facebook page, where they're constantly posting videos, helpful articles. Um, Dr. Evans was just in the land of Israel, and I was actually personally ministered to because I watched a television program where Dr. Evans was interviewed on an excellent program. Can't remember the name of it, but I saw it because I connect with him on social media. So I want to make sure you connect with him as well. And while you're doing that, check out ChristianThinkers.com. If this is the first time you've connected with this broadcast, there are many more. These are the kinds of discussions that we have on a weekly basis. Dr. Evans and I are taking your questions that you've submitted to this show through ask Uh, and Dr. Evans, I think I know who emailed this question because recently I was speaking in Lafayette, Louisiana, and they have a school, uh, that's part of the church with very impressive students. And a couple of them have emailed me asking who is Mikkel, M- Melchizedek? Um, and why is Melchizedek important? They seemed really fascinated with Melchizedek.
1: Yeah, I am too. Uh, and, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Uh, In the program uh, earlier or last week, whichever it was, uh, there's some archaeological evidence that's come to light in Jerusalem that might be related to Melchizedek. For those of you who don't know, Melchizedek makes his mysterious appearance out of the blue in Genesis 14. Abraham has rescued his nephew Lot and his family. They'd been taken captive, these little tribal chieftains that had a fight uh, in the valley where the uh, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are located in the Jordan Valley carried off as captives Abraham gathers up about 300 men pursues them overtakes them defeats them and rescues lot and other people taken captive and he's bringing them back and he passes by a place called Salem we think it could be Jerusalem and a mysterious figure called Melchizedek Melchizedek it literally means my king is righteous Hmm. So this guy whose name is my king is righteous comes out and he meets Abraham and he's bringing with him bread and wine, which, of course, immediately think, my goodness, it sounds like the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or something. And then he says, blessed be the God most high, the God of Abram It's like, where is he getting this? And he's described as a king and as a priest of God most high. Well, the whole thing is startling. We don't know who he is. No genealogies given. His ethnicis- ethnicity is not identified. We don't know anything about him. And um, uh, how does he, you know, he's described as, as a priest of God most high. Is, is he a monotheist? Is that being, you know, it's a real interesting question there, because the other Canaanites at this time, they're all polytheists. Abraham is the outlier. He comes in. He's left Ur of the Chaldees up in the northeast, the land of the two great rivers. He has traveled eastward, then southward. He has passed through the land of Canaan. He's trying to get himself established in what is today Israel. And now he has this experience, and there's a fellow believer in one God who meets him out of the blue. And the author of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament goes wild with this and says that's the kind of priest that Jesus is. Jesus is a priest according to this priestly order, not the order of Aaron, uh, one of the Levites. So anyway... We can speculate and speculate, but the archaeological discovery at Jerusalem suggests that somebody was worshiping God in what is today the Old City, just south of the Temple Mount. And we have actual archaeological evidence of this, including pottery that dates to the 18th century B.C., and that's getting us time-wise in the ballpark with Melchizedek.
0: It's fascinating. You're hearing it here for the first time on the Jeremiah Johnston Show, thanks to Professor Craig Evans. And just a little bit more, Doc, because we, we see Hebrews five six as you just mentioned, six twenty seven seventeen apply to Christ the words from Psalm 110.4. Exegetically, why is Mel- Melchizedek so important to the author of Hebrews, and why should it be important to us today as believers?
1: uh, Melchizedek is hugely important. If all we had was Genesis 14, that would be a lot. Then we have Psalm 110, where God says to the Davidic descendant that, you know, sit at my right hand, and I'm going to make you a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that's just wow. So we have two very important Old Testament passages, Genesis 14, Psalm 110, And then we jump from there into the book of Hebrews, and somebody's making a lot of hay out of Melchizedek to show what kind of Messiah Jesus is. But that's not all, because there's this document found at Qumran from cave number 11 found in 1956, and the document was in fragments, 15, 16 fragments, got published in the mid-'60s. And what does it talk about? It talks about some guy called Melchizedek, and he seems to be God. He reigns in heaven. He he uh, presides over angels. And what does he do? He defeats Satan, defeats evil spirits, forgives Israel their sins, heals Israel. And you start hearing that. You go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are we talking about Jesus now? Hmm. And so whoever this Melchizedek figure is in Genesis 14, Jewish interpreters, pre-Christian Jewish interpreters are making a lot out of him and see him in some redemptive, futuristic role as a healer, as a forgiver as an exorcist, a power over Mm. evil spirits to rescue humans. And then Jesus has the same kind of ministry. And the author of the book of Hebrews says, you know who Jesus is? He's Melchizedek. And boy, I tell you, I find that really fascinating.
0: It, it is. I want to encourage you to read it for yourself. Check it out. And thank you, Dr. Evans, for that fantastic answer. Um, we, we only have about two minutes left, Professor Evans. Um, what do you think are, is the most important subject matter right now for historical Jesus scholarship? I know I'm, I'm veering, but I've had a lot of questions I didn't have time to get to. What's the most important subject matter around historical Jesus scholarship right now, in your well, opinion? It,
1: yeah, that's, that's a hard one to answer because we have two things. We have- have uh, ancient literature that keeps coming to light, whether it's papyri being published uh, that was recovered from Egypt more than a hundred years ago, or some of these Dead Sea scroll materials that I've been just talking about that continues to be published and talked about. The other thing is, we also have archaeology, and you know we got several thousand dig sites in Israel, and we keep digging up stuff that relates to both Testaments, Old Testament and New. So I'm hard-pressed to answer that question. It seems like it's both of these things. In other words, it's fresh, new, raw material that not only supports what the Gospels say about Jesus, but clarifies what the Gospels say about Jesus. So I think the the takeaway is, is we realize, huh, uh, what the Gospels say about Jesus uh, makes a lot of sense, and, and, it, and I think it hits the nail right on the head.
0: Uh, here's a final question uh, d- for both of us. Dr. Evans, I want to start with you, though. They're asking, what is what is your personal favorite Bible translation, and what Bible translation are you per- reading right now in your devotions?
1: <laughs> I get asked that all the time because uh, I'm rattling away saying, here's what Jesus said, or this is what Paul is saying here <laughs> in Romans. And somebody goes, what translation is that? Well, guess what? It's mine. <laughs> okay, so I, I I use the RSV as a default. I also like the NAS uh, New American Standard Bible as well. But uh, I just I just you know I just read the Greek text and I just say what I what I'm looking at. And uh, so I guess I don't have a favorite. Trans- a lot of the modern ones are okay. Yep. Uh, I don't like paraphrases mm-hmm. because they're harder to teach from. They obscure. Uh, sometimes you want to know exactly which words are there because there are Old Testament allusions and the NIV and some of these other paraphrases uh, sort of airbrush those allusions right out of the text. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to be negative about the NIV. I think it's a great translation, especially for children and people in high school. But for serious, serious scholarship, you should read the text or use a very literal translation like the RSV or the NASB.
0: I concur. I use the NASB ninety-five Lockman version, but I will say this: I agree with Doctor Evans. Um, but uh, we just purchased some Bibles for Lily, Faith, and Justin and their new Living Translation. So I'm having a lot of fun um, looking into those passages with Lily, Faith, and Justin, age 7 and age 10. Well, friends, I know you've enjoyed this discussion as much as I have. And Dr. Evans, you're always one of our favorite guests, so you're always welcome, and we look forward to having you back in the future on the Jeremiah Johnson Show and Faith Radio Network. Thanks for spending the time with us. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. Friends, we'll be back with my final thoughts after our final break. Stay with us. This is the Jeremiah Johnson Show. Back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I want to leave you with some more important thoughts as we go into this wonderful week of Thanksgiving. By the way, it's American Thanksgiving, so I know for our worldwide audience living, listening across the UK or Canada, uh, just bear with us if you would, and just, hey, be encouraged by the fact that we're focusing on gratitude. Um, you know, Paul, St. Paul, has been called the Apostle of Thanksgiving. Did you know that? He was a man who was defined by gratitude. I mentioned this passage at the top of the hour, um, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul said, "...in everything give thanks." for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And oh my gosh, isn't that one of those verses where you just kind of wish, ah, I wish that wasn't in there. <laughs> I wish that wasn't in the text, uh, but it, yet it's there, friends. You can look it up yourself, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I think it's interesting. Paul taught that we're to give thanks for all things. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why do I think Paul said to give thanks for all things You know, we serve a God who can cause even bad things that happen to us to turn out for good. We can't do that. We're finite, but we serve a God who is eternal, who is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's full of love for us. So that's why I think Paul could say, hey, thank God for everything in your life, because God can turn it for good, even the terrible bad things. Um, That's, God's into the restoring business. Did you know that? He renews and he restores us. Paul also taught that not being thankful, by the way, you might find this interesting, was like the first step down to apostasy. Think of Romans 121, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful but became vain and their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, I I really challenge Christians to never lose that sense of awe and wonder at your salvation. Jesus has forgiven us. He's loved us with an undying love. He took on flesh for you and me. Let us never stop being thankful people. Um, I think of Cicero, or Cicero, depending on how you do your Latin. Um, he said that gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all other virtues. And so being grateful, I think, stimulates other great spiritual gifts and spiritual practices in our life, like Philippians 4, 6, not to worry about anything. James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Luke seventeen seventeen. What I said at the top of the hour. Two Samuel six fourteen. David danced before the God. He literally, the force of the text. David was whirling around in praise to God. First um, Samuel uh, oh, 2, verse 10, I think of that wonderful prayer of Hannah. You know, and as I have mentioned before, a great barometer of your m- mental health right now is your ability to personally experience gratitude. For example, did you know gratitude can strengthen your immune system? Gratitude will lower your blood pressure. It will make you stronger and healthier. I also think that gratitude, when, we, when we're people that are thankful— it confirms that we did not accomplish anything on our own. You know, it's a good dose of humility. I know I'm not doing this today because I'm cool or I'm really effective. No, I've been the recipient of many people, first God's grace, and the many people God has stewarded to me to mentor me, challenge me, keep me accountable, speak into my life, speak deeply into my life at times. Uh, and by the way, I just wanna encourage you, be, be, be a creative with how you express your gratitude um be a creative person um you know there's so many different traditions you can employ we have a tradition in the Johnston home and keep in mind we have seven people um when it's your birthday we all go around and tell you how much you mean to us um and this is a birthday tradition that was started long ago and why did I want to do that i you know i marry and bury people that's what you do when you're ordained that's one of the things you do marry and bury and i began to notice people would say things at a coffin when someone had died that they wish they would have said when they were alive. And so Audrey and I said, you know what? We're going to establish a new tradition where it's when it's your birthday, you know, it's fun to open gifts, but we're going to all go around and tell whoever's birthday it is, how much we love them, how much we adore them, how much we love being related to them. And, you know, it can be a lot of fun too. We, we crack a lot of jokes too, uh, but it's just being my point in saying this, be creative mom or dad or individual who's listening right now, wherever you're listening, be creative in how you express and how you experience gratitude. Um, I think it's so important that we should be defined by people of gratitude. And never forget Luke twelve forty eight. It's a passage I think of often to whom, whom much is given, much is required. So God bless you. Know that I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you tuning in. I'm thankful for your excitement around this show. I'm thankful for Faith Radio Network. I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, because of the faithfulness of many people to bring people to hope that only Jesus Christ can through these airwaves. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Jeremiah Johnson Show right here on Faith Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. you also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of the Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do it with Google Play, RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.